0: Welcome to The Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact, but so much owed by so many, to so few. So you want to become one of The Few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one
1: foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from The Few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvel. Four, three one lift we have a lift now with your hosts boo and sean
0: oh it's my favorite time of the week again we get to explore what it is to be one of the few people that live their purpose uh with living legend futurist keynote speaker disruptive commentator uh, steve uh Samatino. steve bloody awesome to have you on the show
1: mate thanks for having me guys i'm I'm excited to get deep today,
2: get into it. Uh, It's definitely great to welcome you on board, mate. I appreciate it. I just love the, uh, I jumped on, as probably most people do when they hear about you, jumped on and watched your TED Talk about growing a pizza. And that was just a, uh, and the lesson that you close with in particularly, obviously having two kids of my own, um, 11 and and 8, that concept of actually teaching them the what it actually takes to you know look at the holistic picture, not just be that little piece of the puzzle. Um, maybe maybe not the whole story, but but touch on you know what was the lesson that you feel that came out of this concept and, and how did that of come pizza. about? I mean, you know, growing anyone a pizza. listening
0: right now is going to be what the, what are these two idiots talking about? But how does how do you grow a pizza, mate?
1: That's the point. I thought I want to teach my kids that things don't just arrive on the supermarket shelf; they get there. There's this process, right? And so I said to my daughter, look, why don't we grow some food? want to grow some food. What do you want to grow? And she said, let's grow pizza. And I said, oh, I didn't really mean that. She said, you said food, <laughs> pizza's a food. I'm like, all right, be careful what you ask for. So we did an end-to-end pizza, seven-month process. We were pretty hungry by the time we got to eat it, I mean. And through that process, we, we went every the whole way from wheat right through to chilies and herbs, tomatoes, the whole thing made it. And uh, in the process, I learned two things is that when you give kids the responsibility of something and they have a sense of ownership, they care about it more than you do. And that's something that we steal from people as they grow older and become kids and, be, and grow and learn through school. We teach them to be part of someone else's system rather than owning, controlling their own. She cared more about tomatoes and vegetables and weeds and birds eating her seeds than anyone ever has because it was her <laughs> pizza was her thing. And here's the other thing I learned. I learned. The kids are born entrepreneurs and we kick it out of them. We pull it out of them. Because through that process, she was inventing new ways to make it better and easier for her and to make the system work better because she owned it. And when you have a sense of ownership in something, you have this incentive to want to make it better. Because that's what entrepreneurship in life is. How do we solve old problems in better ways? And when you let kids naturally explore the human mentality, it's in there. God, I mean, it's such a powerful thing and I learned that and that's something that we need to try and find that's buried inside people because we bury it. It's still in there. We've just got to dig it back up.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's a beautiful thing to see in your kids. I've seen it in mine as well. Clearly, they hear a lot of conversations that I have and are exposed to a lot of entrepreneurial concepts and things. But um, uh, what, what, where do you see that that translates into you know, business owners in relation to their teams? actually getting their teams to uncover that piece of themselves you
1: know what i think that what we want people to do in business all too often is to complete a task and we give people tasks what we don't give them is objectives that are i think have breadth and width and room for error and room for exploration and so we've got this almost like this industrial factory mentality that Your job is to put that bolt in that car door, or your job is to do this bit over here. And I feel like that might've been appropriate a hundred years ago when we kind of lived in a world that was stable, but we live in times of great instability right now. And what we need is the courage and the humanity to let people explore how to get something done within a wide realm. And if you want to be a real leader and not a manager, then I would say within that realm, you've got to allow for mistakes, exploration to find a better path. Because if you don't, then we're just judging people on something thin, and it's really hard to find a path to the future. So I just think it's about opening up what we need to do in that managing a team. Now, of course, there's going to be certain jobs that are specific, but the wider the scope, if we give people wider scope, humanity and people will always surprise us.
2: And that, that I would I'd call that you know empowering somebody rather than telling somebody, you know, to, to actually, yeah, you need to do this versus here's an outcome, go and figure it out, you know, like go and own it. And and, and they, they actually then have that, as you say, that freedom, that flexibility to move within the boundaries or do it a way that may be different to the way you do it, but still manage to achieve the same outcome.
0: Steve, we want to talk about Steve. Uh, obviously, you're uh, someone who is living an unorthodox life. Yes, You're somebody who... Uh, by any measure, is successful. Uh, but to you, do you perceive yourself as successful? And and why do you perceive yourself as successful?
1: I do perceive myself as successful, uh, to be honest, and, and I don't put a number near that. The only thing I um, look for success is the ability to live within my own resources and how much freedom I have. There's my two success measures, is the, the ability to you know, measure my life and my people and and the freedom that I have for time, family, fun, and work, doing things that I enjoy. So they're the ways that i measure it. For the longest time, I used to chase money like that was the answer. No, I really did. It's embarrassing.
0: You've got to have that part of your life and none of us enjoyed it. No. 13 years,
1: I was working in corporations and I call it my chasing rainbows era, just trying to get promotion and promotion and promotion. And um, I remember on the very first day, I got a graduate position with a big global company. I remember day one, turned up and they took me through it and I got the company car to drive home and everything. And I remember thinking honestly to myself, geez, I don't know if I like this very much, this nine-to-five stuff. This, I don't know if this is for me. So I thought I'll just do it for thirteen years and just see how it turns out. <laughs> yeah. But then when I was honest with myself and I started, it was probably only about eight years ago that I think I really, oh, maybe even a bit more than that. I've had a couple of stints in and out. But at one point I said, this is what I want to do. And if I can make a living doing just that, I don't care what the numbers are, I'll be happy. But that's when everything changed. That's when I started making way more money than I ever made.
0: But can we unpack that? What happened? Like, what was it that put you on the the, the tangential path to the average person? Clearly, what you do is not a space where there are a lot of people involved. It's a very small community, people that can actually turn speaking and influencing into a, a sustainable existence. What happened though? At some point in time, what happened?
1: I realized that I've been trying to keep everyone happy and I've been trying to work on my weaknesses for 15 years, 20 years in my corporate career and even with startups that I did. And then one day I woke up and I said, nah, I'm only good at this thing and that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to ignore every single weakness I have. And let me tell you, the list is freaking long. It's long, mate, but I promise <laughs> you it's long, right? But then I said, there's 7 billion people in the world, the other... You know, 6.9 billion, they can work on my weaknesses. I'm going to work on this one thing here, right? And when I made that decision, all of a sudden it happened. And I'll, and I'll tell you, so I had a startup that was quite successful. It was an early sharing economy startup called Rintoid.com. I built it and sold it to a public company, but that still was in what I call my pre-success era, even though I was financially successful because 80% of the work that I was doing sort of graded on my soul. I didn't like it. It was managing managing teams and business and everything. I realised that I'm kind of like a person who works best independently, not building a team, not building a company, not doing anything. And the one part of that business that was most successful was me selling the ideas, the dreams, showing how technology can be worked, how we can invent a new future. And then I worked in a period after I sold that business in advertising. I got dragged into corporate world again. Mate said, "Come in, help us get through the tech world's biggest ad agency. It was a big job. He made me an offer I couldn't refuse." And there was only one bit in that business that I was smashing. Every time, like I had a big team to manage and everything, but the only thing I was good at was, was ideas and pitching. And then one day I wake up in the morning and said to my wife, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to see if I can pitch for a living. She said, what do you mean pitch? She said, you need something to sell. Are you advertising? I said, yeah, but I'll just, I'll just think, write, and speak about technology and just show people what it can be. She goes, you can't head you?" I go, I don't know. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to think, write, and speak about technology.
2: That's it. So I want to talk, can I can I talk to that that point, Steve? You know that what you've actually said there is is something that it took me a number of years to realize as well, and perhaps yourself too. Boo, in that, you initially try and you're doing everything for everyone else, and then you're trying to be everything for everyone else, and you're doing these things. You're right and left handed when you're right handed, you know, and you suck at it, and people can't understand it, and you know, and it's like hang on, hang on, but this thing over here is exponentially more impactful if I just narrow my focus and I found exactly the same thing doing a trip around Australia for a year in a caravan two and a half years ago off we left. I cut out you know multiple six figures in personal revenue to do that, drop back my hours, you know, 12, 15 hours a week. Because as my wife said, why don't we just go and you don't work? And I said to her, Can you imagine me not working for six to twelve months? She goes, "Ah, uh, yeah, good idea. But but in that time I had a four hundred percent increase in the scale of my business, doing twelve to fifteen hours a week and just went, Holy shit, this working smarter thing. Is actually real. It's not just some statement that everyone says. Work smarter, not harder. It was actually real, and it, by the sounds of it, that's what you experienced.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. It was in order. It took a while to ramp up. You know, the first year I just kind of got earned about half what I'd earned before that. The next year I matched it, and then just double, 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 double. Just went exponential. And I was working inordinately less hours. I mean, I feel even guilty saying it. And I like. I hope no one catches on to what I'm getting away with. It's crazy. It should be illegal, right? <laughs> it's like I don't know. I mean. I feel like I'm not even working. That's the first thing because the stuff that I do, sharing my ideas and writing about tech and helping people understand it, just I just dig it. It's like it doesn't even feel like work. And then just do it really quick. Sometimes I, you know, I can just get something done in an hour or two that might take me a week or two in a company because there's all these meetings and all this other stuff and all these moving parts. Soon as they went away. So, so how,
0: how much of that is how much of that comes down to your ability to to focus and get in flow in, in what you're doing rather than being pulled from pillar to post by fifty thousand different opinions?
1: I reckon opinions. a big part of that is this. And this is where nine to five is a disaster. Humans were never meant to work nine to five. It's a total disaster that was invented. It's a lie, and we need to kibosh that. Here's what happens. I don't stick to nine to five. Like whenever I feel like something comes in my head, I just drop it and do it. I might even be driving in the car and have an idea. I will pull over and get my laptop out and write up that thing. Like when it it comes, I just do it. I don't care what time it is. And if I feel like going surfing on a day, I just go, I don't care. The only thing I will make sure I do is get someone their deadline. But my personal deadlines, like even if I set myself a deadline, I'm prepared to break it. I'm prepared to just let it go. I'm, I'm I'm, you know, Tyler Durden, Fight Club, let the chips fall where they may. Like seriously. And I reckon because of that, when I have the moments, they come in stronger because it's truth. It's like, it just bubbled out at that time. And I just stop and I take it.
2: I think that's aware, That's about awareness. I think that's about your own awareness, Stephen. And I've, and I've gone down that same path too, where um, having now worked from home since you know living in a caravan and then working from home since. And so the change to COVID really didn't change a lot. Let's just clarify, um,
0: living in a caravan was a choice. It was not something that was that was a choice. Yeah, we, we yeah, okay, chose good. to go around Australia for a year you know, as a family. So
2: I didn't become trailer trash and then, you know, like just live on you know, and, and bum off you know two minute noodles every day or something. But start wrapping, start wrapping yeah. or anything like that. <laughs> but so it was a choice to actually um, rattle our cages and change something so drastically. I'd never camped before, never had a four wheel drive, so it was this steep learning curve, this whole different experience we never thought about. But that that piece and, and it's I would say tread carefully for those who are not used to it in going. You know what. I was going to do that today, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. Now, I think earlier on, I would have then said that every day for a very long time and never actually got it done. But what I'm realizing is the same thing. I could literally, some of my best content, my best stuff that's come out, I've literally just gone, bing, 3.30 in the morning, got up, spent two hours doing something or 8.30 at night. I'm just like, oh, I've got this idea. And then I'm, and I am I spend until 1.30 in the morning just capturing it and bottling it. And it's like, it's incredibly satisfying. And, and, it doesn't matter what time of the day or night it is. If that moment, when the moment strikes, if you don't capture it, you potentially lost it, you know, but it is, I believe it's a skill you need to hone to be, have that awareness that it's not becoming procrastination. It's actually, you know what, that battery for that creative elements, not quite charged today. I'll go on, as you say, a surf or I might go for a run. Um, But then the next day you go bang and you smash it out in half the time. It's twice as good. And you're like, wow.
1: There's a trick there with this that I think happens organically with, the structure of life as it is at the moment. And the first of these is that there's a truth in what I do because if I don't deliver the work, I won't get paid. That's a truth in making sure that you, It's
0: <laughs> an immovable object. That, that's just a given. Like the sun comes up, that's part of it. Right. And so
1: every month I started zero, right? I mean, metaphorically, you're pretty much starting again every month. And that reality is something that, look, if you were going to get into that procrastination mode, hey, dude, you won't last very long. In this world. So, you've got a really short runway to make sure that if you don't feel like it that day, it's probably a good thing that you feel like it the next day. But there's, I think that enables you to get these things done that you won't in a company where there's the 15th of the month and you know you're going to get paid that month and you know you've got to get three warnings before someone gets rid of you and you know you can coast. That knowing I can't coast means that riding that undulation, and not many people can do it. Some people just haven't got it in their soul where they can ride uncertainty. And I reckon with COVID, I've kind of, I've ridden the uncertainty really well because I kind of live with that all the time.
0: Well, I think a lot of us are out there thriving at the moment, to be honest. I think that indispensable element of the few people who made that leap and adaptable, it's, this is a really big opportunity. Steve, let's talk about walking away from business, walking away from security and the, the risk profile of those who managed to go and live their life's purpose. How do you feel about personal risk, financial risk, and taking that step away? You spent 13 years in the corporate world, no, no doubt, riding the wave, climbing the ladder, doing very well. So how did you feel about going out to earning zero?
1: It's funny. I mean, I always had side ventures going. And I always, like, like I said to you, day one, I knew that it wasn't for me. It took me a long time to flourish. But you know, one thing that I think is really important and we underestimate is you need to invent for yourself the opportunity. And so I've been very diligent with savings and the way I've handled money from day one. Now, from when I worked, as a, I had a job as a paper round when I was 10 years old. I mean, you wouldn't do it these days. I'd get out at five in the morning around the mean streets of Melbourne <laughs> delivering papers. Like, no 15 year old has been away two meters from their mum these days, right? But. <laughs> So I did that, I worked in a Hungry Jack's making hamburgers till midnight on Friday nights and I always saved money and I think that unless you have the ability to save money, the seeds of greatness are not inside you. I believe that deep in my heart because here's what it is, you are saying to yourself and everyone around you, I am prepared to sacrifice something now for a better tomorrow. Like here's a crazy stat, if you want to work just one year and two for the rest of your life, it's really easy. You just save half your wages. (laughs) No, this sounds crazy. If you can save, live on half of your wage, you could have next year off. And guess what you could do? In that year, you could learn a whole lot of new things, be really valuable to someone else and probably get more money the next year. Then live on half of that and do that. Just this idea that you are prepared to invest in yourself, to invent tomorrow, gives you the confidence, the ability, delayed gratification. It gives you the opportunity to make that exploration. And you know what? Society makes it hard. Everyone says spend. You've got to have the clothes. You've got to have the car. You've got to have this. If you cannot sacrifice, and it's the same with doing homework, it's the same with anything that requires effort, you've got to have sacrifice. And it doesn't matter whether you're earning $100 a week or you know $100,000 a week. The principles and the philosophy is what elevates you, it's not the numbers. Because I found that people that are bad at saving when they're on small dollars are also the same people, and I've met them, who are bad when they're on big dollars. Philosophy is
0: everything. We used to say in the Air Force that you just, as you go through your career, you just move from the bottom of the spirit shelf and just slowly work your way up. So you're, you're earning more money, but you're just spending exactly the same, spending more and more, just
2: moving your way up.
0: That's right. And, 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 and usually it's usually
2: at a higher level of responsibility. It's usually at a much higher level of responsibility, too.
0: It's, it's interesting. I don't know whether you guys saw today, Steve. Uh, they're talking about the the biggest impact financially in COVID is middle-class Australians and middle management taking the biggest hit. No savings, mortgage to the hilt, living beyond their means and now in free fall because redundant, 30, 40% pay cut, reduced hours, no savings.
1: Mate, it's it's just a fundamental feature of life that's also an allegory for all other things. It's like anything, if you consume more than you deserve, whether it's food, whether it's money, whether it's, you know, it's all about these ratios. And I try to live my life in percentages and ratios. And it's a real simple philosophy that holds you in good stead, no matter matter where you are in your life stage.
0: Tell us a little bit about the SLJs, Steve, people who are the few that live their life's purpose. They're kind of really good at the shitty little jobs that need to be done the better detail you sort of mentioned it before the undulating wave how important is it to you to sometimes just knuckle down and do the stuff you don't want to do
1: and i don't want to underestimate that there's a lot of work i was talking to my wife about it the other day i said i don't work that much she goes actually you do you just don't realize it here's the one thing that that i do all the time is that i do my homework so you know, working as you know, a futurist or a techno i'm actually a technology economist but they use the word futurist I pride myself on being able to answer any question, any time on topics of technology in the future without any prior warning or preparation. The news can call me and go, Steve, we've got an interview in 15 minutes on this topic. I'm like, right. Every single morning, I'll read all the news on what's happened in technology. I read the white papers. I go through a book a week on technology. You know, I've got a, my, the thing that I'm most proud of is my library. The one thing that I do is that, is that I do my homework because that is the bit that enables me to get new ideas, uh, I pay attention to the world around me, and that's like my gym workout. And that happens at least, I reckon I would read two to three hours a day.
0: So what's your reaction when you see things online or organizations? I, I had someone call me the other day who I've been working with and they're like, look, this stuff that we're doing is really hard. There must be a shortcut. And this is about creating a three-year strategy, right? Give me your, give me your thoughts on, on shortcuts to success, Steve. Possible or not possible?
1: Okay, so there are always hacks to make something quicker than it was before, and that's actually what technology does. Technology is a new way of doing old things quicker and more efficiently. But the best shortcut I know is making frequent deposits into your bank account of knowledge, right? <laughs> it's it's the, the
0: best shortcut's hard work. The best shortcut the best, And here's the problem. Responsible.
1: Here's what people do. They'll spend months or years trying to find shortcuts when if they had to just put in little deposits – into knowledge or the work gets done. I mean, these phrases are thousands of years old. You know, the journey of a thousand steps starts with the first one. You know, the famous story of Napoleon who wanted his soldiers to be able to march in the shade all around France. And his offsider said it'll take us um, 50 years to plant enough trees to do that. He said, well, you better start today, right? So all of these allegories are just true. But here's what happens. If you do the slow work now, try and, you're the person who'll actually find the shortcuts. Because by doing the work, you get insight. And the insight gives you developments on how to find the hacks. In technology, the people who find the hacks are those who write the lines of code because they're inside the weeds. They've seen it. Their head's under the hood of the laptop. And then they see what the new opportunities are. If you're the guy coming in for the cheap, cheap shot, the get rich quick scheme, the let's sell milkshakes on Instagram, mate, you're not finding anything because you're looking for the hacks.
0: Don't look for the hacks. You'll find them when you do the hard work. Absolutely. So for you, shortcut, innovation, hacking, doing the same things we're doing now smarter in the future. Yeah, just do it the way that
1: you know works now. You'll find better ways just by virtue of the fact that you're doing the work.
0: It's a really good point, Steve. One of the things that I find working with large organisations is this constant pursuit of innovation. And it seems to me the way that they innovate is pluck something out of their ass, throw $200 million at it, and then it doesn't work. Yeah. What's the hack to innovate inside large organizations or people who struggle with change or to move forward? What is the innovation? Okay,
1: so I'm glad you asked this. This is what I do pretty much with the corporations that hire me. They actually don't really want innovation. They just pretend they do. That's the first thing. If you really want innovation, because innovation is we need to try a number of things to find something that works, then you need to fail on purpose. You need to be prepared to have a number of failures and set up an infrastructure, a safe boundary, a simulation. See what I did there, Boo? A simulation.
0: Simulation, visualization. Love it, mate. A simulation
1: of how things could be to find a better way to do something, but they're not prepared to do that. All they really want to do is maximize shareholder returns now and tell the market that they're innovating. Very few companies are actually prepared to do it. If you do want to do it, then you need to set up a way where the thing that you will reward is a behavior and not an outcome. And what I mean by that is a certain type of behavior that leads to innovation will eventually give you innovation. If you reward outcomes that are innovations that work, there's a very high chance you will reward the wrong thing because innovation can be dumb luck, right? And then you will reward a result, but results aren't the thing that you're rewarding. And here's my example when a young kid is learning to walk, the first, one of the very first things they do. We clap even when they fall over because what we want to see is them trying, not walking. Here's what corporations do. They only clap once the child can walk across the room and they're ignoring the thousand times they tried before that.
0: Yeah, this, is like, yeah. this is great. This yeah. is the first time we've got Steve embracing failure. Yep,
2: absolutely. Embracing it. And there's a philosophy my, my kids um, – go to Montessori School, uh, Montessori Philosophy, and I was on a board for three and a half years of one of the schools in Sydney. And the philosophy is that. They don't give you encouragement awards. They don't award someone because they got a better grade than somebody else. What they're actually looking at is and, and celebrating is the effort that goes into, yes, you got that outcome because of the effort you did. Look at that effort. That effort was amazing great work on that and it's that same thing you're saying it's applauding even if they're failing it's like yes fantastic you failed let's go again and see if you can solve it you know and, and learn it and learn from that mistake and it's that thing of Learning from our lessons, and then in, we take it in It was beaten out of us at school in in the mainstream systems, where it's like you're competing. I'm competing against Boo and you, and and it's all this competition piece. And you got an A, and I got a B, so I feel really sad about myself. Or and then right. I get an encouragement <laughs> Wait, award well. for nothing, no which is just basically for turning up. You know, like it's a showing up award, and it's like, hang on, but why? am Because underneath, we know that why am I getting this award? I don't really deserve it. It's it's shallow, and it and it's it's that thing of you know, false competition and whereas really the only competition is us waking up and going, right, how can I be better today than I was yesterday? I mean that's where I see it coming and Steve, from. Steve, you
0: that work philosophy. you work in ratios, mate. So what's your fail to success ratio if you look at it at a at a granular level?
1: Nine out of ten of the things I've tried have failed. Mate, you only need about two or three successes to set your life up. You know, a successful relationship, successful health or one or two business ventures that work. You know, I had a win with the startup that I built and sold and it actually taught me a lot that I bounced off as well, but I haven't had a heap of successes, probably less than five things that worked. I reckon I've tried 50 at least, 50 different businesses, 50 different ideas. I can't tell you how many times I've pitched ideas for for businesses and TV shows and all manner of things. You know, I, I actually judge myself on how many calls I make, not what the answer is. Yep. You know, there's a famous sales story,
0: and timing, how and timing, the luck of timing. The- you know, sometimes I've
1: had dumb luck where people just rang me up, and I've gone, "Gee, that was lucky." This opportunity came, but then when you look back, why did they call
2: you? Absolutely right. You make your own luck, yep. and that's interesting. That thing of you know, you 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 again about rewarding the effort. There's a there's a um the concept from sales is don't shoot for a target if you've got a sales team it's about having a system on the wall that shows you did they make their 10 calls a day or did they not and as long as they're making their 10 calls every day you can predict what their outcome is likely to be and then if you see their outcomes lower than the average well it's a training issue it's a skill issue not an effort issue then you can fix the skill or training issue and then they'll start hitting the numbers but if you focus on the numbers it's that concept of you know you haven't never seen a a soccer team play it's right, guys I want you to go out the field and win 5-0. Well, if you don't know how the team play, that target is completely irrelevant. And
1: that sales ratio, you know, very often the more effort you do, you move up the learning curve anyway. Humans do that naturally. But um, but that ratio in sales, I mean, in sales gets a bad name, right? It really does. And it shouldn't because sales is really just about effort and trying. And that ratio thing, it's like, well, if you read 10 books you're probably within your career or a certain area, you're going to get better at that thing. If you have 10 meetings, you're going to get better. If you go to the gym 10 days in a row, it's going to, be, you know what I mean? It's like that ratio is everywhere. If you just stop and pay attention to the world around you, why does this person look healthy? Why is this person happy? You know why? Probably because they're nice to other people and the people are nice back to them and then they, they get a good vibe, you know? Are you nice when you go and get your coffee, ask them how their day was? And when you ask them how they were, are you really listening to the answer or you're just saying it because it's a social convention?
2: Absolutely. And what I'm hearing there though is one is, is a C word, consistency, right? It doesn't matter whether it's the gym. As you say, if you go for three weeks, you get sore. You go for three months, you get strong. But if you stop going after three months, then wait a year and go back again, you're going to get sore again because you've lost all of the effort you've gained. And what you said before was those small incremental pieces which comes down to consistency. The thing I see the most in working with you know a lot of business owners is they just lack the discipline to be consistent. And it's not about you have to go to the gym every day. Someone who goes to the gym three times a week consistently versus someone who goes every day, then stops for a week and then goes sometimes and then stops again, they're going to get a better result. It's the tortoise and the hare. Yeah, it's you know, frequency. How do you feel that fits in with how you've seen it in your journey?
1: Yeah, look, Another thing I always think about too is frequency beats depth every time. And and the example of frequency beats depth, just to pick up on the gym one, and I go to the gym pretty much every day, I have a workout, I just enjoy it, but um, is that, you know, what's better, going to the gym for six hours on a Saturday or doing six hours across a week, right? And that's for everything in life. Frequency beats depth. In business, how much do you interact with your customers? Do you burst them at Christmas time when you want their sales or are you having a nice interaction with them all along the year? you go to your son, oh... Let's let's spend four hours together on uh, having football together, or when he you know says, "Dad, let's have a kick out in the backyard for ten minutes," and then, "Hey, let's play the jigsaw puzzle for ten minutes here." And little pieces always beat the big burst. And we see it in business and advertising. People come out with a burst campaign, expect everyone to stop what they're doing and pay attention. The world yeah, doesn't work I love like that. that. The Crazy. world doesn't work like that. The world works on frequency. Small pieces. Small pieces. Frequency. Frequent, and so I, Steve, I try and say, what's my frequency versus what's my depth?
0: Steve, I want to pull you up there because you've said two things here, and it's this grey area that I I really love to explore, uh, which is creating some situational awareness here. On the one hand, you just said be focused, laser like in everything that you do, uh, put in the effort, be focused, and now we're saying spread yourself thin. Explain that grey area. Okay, so know the
1: things that you're going to do in your life. You can't be everything, right? So The things I want to be good at, I want to be healthy. I want to be good with my family. I want to be financially well off and do work that I like and have a positive impact on society. There's five things, all right? The work one, the work one is I'm not trying to be an expert in everything, but in the things that I do within that context, I want to do it all the time, reading about technology, economics, all of those things. And so I'm going to get depth because of my frequency. I'm doing the same things over and over again, those few things within that realm. I'm not trying to be everything because it's impossible. I know what the things I want to do are, and I'm going to do them frequently, which will give me really solid experience, a big foundation. I'm laying a big, big platform for me to stand on top of because I'm doing those things frequently. So I'm not doing everything, but the things I'm doing, I'm doing frequently. And that's, that's you know, like deposits in the bank.
2: And it's, and you retain that you because you can only bring in so much new information. I suppose the difference between, you know, someone at school or uni who – consistently studies throughout the term then the exam comes up they study a bit more and then they do really well versus someone like me who would just cram the day before and do okay you know and i'm sure if i actually put the effort in uh, i would have done substantially better but i didn't i made that choice at the time that i didn't think it was valuable and so i just crammed a bit the day before and 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 leveraged off you know uh, being so I'm naturally okay at academic stuff and getting a reasonable result. But is it? But is it? I mean, what is the point?
0: What is the point in doing the same thing everyone else is doing and popping out with the same degree? Where's the innovation in that? Yeah, you know, I appreciate there's a basic skill you need to learn, but that whole that whole cycle, what does it set? It might set you up to think differently. It might set yourself up to to challenge things and. I'm not bashing university here but it's it's the way in which it's structured and I believe university existed originally to to create this hotbed of research and thought and I, I think that
2: that just doesn't exist anymore it's everyone has a degree everyone a It's almost bit. like a BA is a bachelor of attendance versus you know something something that they can really utilize because a lot of the time they get it and they go into the real world and it's like shit I God, this is not really going to get me anywhere.
0: And no doubt, Steve, you're, you're in technology, right? You're looking at automation, looking at moving things forward. Most great tech innovations or names that we're aware of, is it's years and years of investment, years of refinement. Dyson didn't build his, his vacuum on the weekend. You know, Tesla wasn't built on a couple of weeks. What do you believe is the, sets you apart? And the world is awash with information. And one thing I learned as a fighter pilot is information sometimes is your enemy as much as it's your friend. Because too much information, the poor old processor here just can't do it. What's your advice in terms of managing this tsunami of information that exists in the digital world? I've thought
1: about that a lot. and We live in, you know, what I call a, del- a data explosion, right? So I want to delineate yesterday with today. Yesterday, information was invariably hard to find. When I went to uni, there was no internet and it was gray hairs. But when you found it, it had a high probability of being high quality. Now information is easy to find, but it's very, very hard to find the high quality stuff. That's the difference. So the skill now is about developing areas in which you can get trusted information from to call on that. And it's having the wherewithal to not get caught up in what you think is information, which is really just noise.
0: And how do you do that? Like practically speaking, what do you do, Steve, to make sure that you are always accessing high quality information at the right time to empower you and the people you work with to make really good decisions?
1: Yeah. So the first thing is I have like certain news channels and technology channels that are trusted and reputable. And that's, that's really important. We need to be teaching this in the school. We need to be teaching the difference between uh, the New York Times and the Herald Sun. I mean, we we just need to get serious about that. You know, what is regarded as news or a newspaper? Um, I tend to focus not on immediate news, something that is happening today, but maybe something that's bubbling over a month. I find that that has the most density and nutrition, you know, protein for the brain versus something that happened today. On the stuff that's happening today, you can read the headline at the top and you get it. You get the jokes. Like I know what's happening with TikTok and security issues. But because I've been reading about security issues for the last three years, I can read the headline and then pull into my protein of all this knowledge I've got here, marry the two up and do an interview like I did this week on Channel 7 and be able to create some clear knowledge between those two things. So, you know, people get stuck in the sugar, the sugar of the headlines and what's the latest and then just not getting the protein they need. So you've got to have your long form and your short form. The short form stuff, the news headlines, that just tells you what's going on. That's just bubbling along the top, but you've got to go deep. So you've got to have reputable news sources, reading things that are, I think, longer form, and something that's been postulated that's not just something that was written today for today, but something has been written about what's happening, not what happened. And you need to have trusted people who you lean on for information, experts within certain categories. So I have a number of people that I follow within the technology realm who are heavy on the research. I know that the stuff that they put together is right. And I'll, I'll even, I'm the guy that links, clicks on the links in the Wikipedia page and goes back all the way to the white papers so that it's, it's steeped in research. So that's the way that I look at it. I have reputable news channels, reputable people within my category that I follow. And then I read the headlines to see what's happening with the zeitgeist. And so I'd marry those three up to give me a, a, a viewpoint. And I read books. So I'll go deep on a book on the topic. Like I'm reading one at the moment called Click Here to Kill Everyone. Crazy title. It's all about how the internet is becoming physical and getting hacked could end your life. It's not just getting hacked, someone will steal your photos. So I've got the depth.
2: So clearly, clearly, uh, based on your career and the amount of you know effort and consistent knowledge, you build up, you, as I said, you, you've got this, um, you know, what was it, tech, technology economist, is that what you called it? Well, they say futurist, but yeah. Yeah. So so you clearly got a bit of a perspective of what's coming, you know, so let's say in the next three to five years for business owners, what should we expect when it comes to technology and, and the types of impacts that's likely to make on our businesses?
1: Okay. The first thing that we need to look at is that what society expects always uh, circumvents technology's capability. The number one thing we're gonna see in a post-COVID environment is gonna be nationalization and deglobalization around the world because fear has set in and the insecurity of our supply chains across the world is now shaping government policy where I think the internet will become closed and more national around the world than it's been. We're gonna see, I think, nationalization of technology infrastructure across countries, closing of borders, and artificial intelligence and local manufacturing and automation coming back home to home markets and high-cost labour markets. So we're going to see this shrinking of the world in the next sort of three to five years.
0: What's going to happen to us, mate? What's going to happen to the soft pink bodies once everything's automated and we've got artificial intelligence doing all the thinking for us?
1: Well, the most high-paid jobs are going to be jobs that we patent people to do because a human is doing it not because because a robot can't. Now, if you're sick with COVID, if there was a, a soft exoskeleton robot that could hold your hand, even if that could happen, I'm pretty sure you'd want a human to do it. That's an allegory for what's happening. I mean, think about, this is my favorite example about technology. Technology outsources repetitive tasks so that we can invest more in human tasks. In the short term, in the 50s and the 60s, we had processed food was the future. If you go back and watch something about the future in the 1950s to the 1970s, you're going to see people talk about irradiated food and adding water to things that bubble into a, a steak, and you're going to eat that with technology. And guess what happened? Slow food happened. You know, espresso coffee was for bogans in the 70s. If you were if you were having espresso, mate, we've got an Escafé. What are you, a bogan? We've got this processed stuff now, and now you want billy with the tattoos and his leather apron to make you a little call you by name and make you a little macchiato that's going to cost you you know 70 times as much as an uh an uh, a
0: <laughs> there's a story about the future in that but is that experiential is that is that because we we're speaking it seeking out the experiences as more? we
1: automate production we pay more for experiences it's already happening we can we can see it everywhere if you look and this is where paying attention to the world can be more important than reading a report in The Economist because you see it first before it appears in the numbers. You see what's happening with the way people are behaving. If you look, it's there. And what will happen is as things get automated in manufacturing, that money doesn't evaporate. The manufacturing gets cheaper. That extra money goes over here. It just changes places. Think about it. You used to spend $30 on a CD, right? And then $30 went to a dollar for one song, and then that went to streaming for $10 for a million songs on demand. Where did the money go? Well, the money didn't evaluate, it just changed (laughs) No, it just changed places. It went into an espresso, it went into a concert that you now spend $100 for instead of a $1. It used to be that the concerts were cheap to promote the album. Now the concerts are expensive because we want to see a human do it. We want to see them make a mistake. So we want to see the sweat on their brow. And understanding the future is understanding technology and humanity in concert. See what I did there? Concert.
0: <laughs> oh, I like that. Wow. That's, uh, that's next level, mate. <laughs> so you're obviously a, a, a consumer of vast amounts of knowledge. But within all of that, Steve, you must have come across a few tomes that have sp- spoken to you. If, if someone was trying to move from a life that they're not super happy with and they feel like there's more to life or they've got more to offer, what are three sources or three chunks of information or books or whatever you call books in the digital world these days? Where are three sources of knowledge that someone could go to to start a journey to become the version of themselves they really want to be, to live their purpose?
1: Obviously, my two books are incredible now. <laughs> uh, look, if you want to change your life and your career, there's one terrific book called Lynch Pin by Seth Godin, which is really about understanding the future is art and we're all artists at something. And art doesn't mean painting. It means what's the artistry in your natural skill base? We talked about focusing on your strengths. It's all about that. It's incredible. I would recommend that to anyone. I think you can even listen to it on YouTube for free. He's not one of these blocking guys. It's up there, you can listen to it. It's an audio book. If you want to understand technology, then I think The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly is a really good, clear understanding of where the world's heading. It's called The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly. And if you want to understand some of the problems with society, and how to fix them on what we need to do and not to be tricked by governments or capitalists or the 1% who have taken all of the wealth, then I would read a book called Winner Takes All by a guy called Anand Girdadas. So just take Winner Takes All, Anand, and you'll find him. And that book was about some of the tricks that corporations have played in the last 30 years to destabilise things like schooling and healthcare and reduce tax rates, which hasn't created jobs. All it's done is create income inequality. And how that needs to be. We're at a time where we need to have political shifts. So, there are three books that I think can give you some perspective: personal, technological, geopolitical.
2: Fantastic. Now, if there was if there was something that you've picked up in your interesting journey of life, you know, business, etc., and all the things you've done, that you could actually take that one key piece of advice and deliver it to a younger version of yourself, what would you? What advice would you give? Oh
1: God. That's a tough one. Oh, look, the one piece of advice I'd say is invest more in yourself than you do in your job, and that might even sound bad for an employer. But I'll tell you why it's good. If you invest more in yourself than you do in your job, your employer actually becomes the beneficiary. And if the employer doesn't appreciate it, you'll be valued somewhere else.
2: Love that. Very, very, very powerful. I uh, really, really. That's that's gold. Yeah, that's an actual you know, one of the. I think that's one of the most.
0: There's a, a, a gym. Thought-provoking responses there. to
2: that that question. So oh, uh, fantastic.
0: Steve. Steve, thanks so much for sharing uh, your insights. Now, obviously, you have an inordinate amount of experience. Uh, you're an accelerator for individuals and for people, one of the few people that can drive genuine change. How can people find Steve?
1: Yeah, the best way is just stevesamantino.com. I do a blog every week just on Friday mornings where I just write something about what's happening got all my talks all my links my social links you know linkedin and twitter and all that kind of stuff so that's the best place to find me
0: and googling what would i google mate how, how do i find your uh, your books
1: uh my books are on my website as well stevesamatino.com if you just google me pretty much it, all my stuff comes up i've got i've got a name that's unique enough where you know it's uh, i'm not a tom smith so i'm sort of pretty lucky so if you just google <laughs> me as well you can do some pretty good internet stalking on all the stuff that i do
2: Thanks. Awesome.
0: we'll add it to the show notes as well <laughs> thanks a lot Steve that's great and that wraps up another episode of The Few thank you to our partners Afterburner for team building development and alignment we understand now how important it is to have the right people around you get them on board with where you want to go. Momentum Media the largest industry publisher in the country connecting your business to the Australian community. ICMI Australia's premier speaker bureau representing the few that do fulfill their life's purpose And finally, Sean's Inner Circle, the business coaching organization for small and medium enterprises looking to make that next step. Thanks again for listening in and downloading today. Please leave a review on whatever platform you are currently listening to this podcast and reach out to our partners who can help you make the transition to the few. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Thanks, Sean. Thanks, mate, for, for sharing. Uh, what it takes uh, to become one of the few. This has been
1: The Few Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The Few Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of The Few. We'll see you next week.